So, yeah, I go through the news and I save some uh, articles. And um, I guess uh, we can we can talk about them and uh, get get your thoughts. So uh, Brian Stelter, who is, I guess, the 36-year-old, slightly pudgy George Costanza Pillsbury Doughboy of news, is, uh, he just, he tweeted not too long ago, he said, an unvaccinated minority that doesn't watch the news or trust the news is putting the unvaccinated majority at undue risk. There's no way around that reality, right? So, I mean, you can hear, you know, the mob obviously is being roused up to mass hatred of the uh, unvaccinated. And even that language, like, you're missing something. It's like uncircumcised. I remember when I was talking about circumcision, people said, no, call it uncircumcised because that's like you're missing something, like uneducated. Uh, it means uh, what you want to talk about is is intact, right? So um, uh, you know, people, people who haven't taken the vaccine are intact, relying on nature's, uh, I don't know, multi-billionaire development of an immune system. And first of all, you know, not to, you know, body shame anyone, but, you know, this guy wants to tell you all about how to be healthy, uh, just how to be healthy. That's all he wants to do is just tell you how to be healthy. And uh, if you look at him. So what's interesting about this is, have you ever had someone in your life, hit me with a wife, you've had someone in your life who is massively untrustworthy, like staggeringly, massively, massively untrustworthy. You know, we, we used to use this word when I was a kid. I don't know if, we, if people still use it anymore. It's called skeevy. Right. This person is is skeevy, just like oily. Um, <laughs> I was uh, teaching my daughter the other day, and she's become quite a fan of this. It's it's the first of all. Have you ever you in business? You have the handshake, obviously, and then you have the hand witch, right? So you do your handshake, and then you put your other hand around to clasp him. And then, <laughs> and then I said to my daughter, and what's really creepy is if you run your hands up the guy's forearm. <laughs> so those kinds of skeevy, creepy guys. Now. What I've experienced in my life is when people say, when people are untrustworthy, then they get mad at you for not trusting them. You ever had that? Like people just untrustworthy and then they get really mad at you for not trusting them. Isn't that wild? Doesn't that blow your mind? And of course, it's a lot easier to bully people into pretending to trust you than to actually be trustworthy, right? And seeing what people are going to say here. Yeah, you've had these kinds of things around, right? You've kind of had these things around. So, yeah, this, this untrustworthy stuff is really important. So the mainstream media has, at least for half the country, right, in America, the mainstream media has pursued massive, easily identifiable, easily rejected lies. I mean, regarding Trump derangement syndrome is one of them, but of course there's more. So they've really lied to people. Now, if someone lies to you and, and you suffer the consequences, that's not so bad. But what happens, of course, is that the mainstream media, you know, divides families, spits up families, divides marriages, breaks up marriages, because often it's the man, sometimes it could be the other way around, but often it's the man who will be skeptical of the media, and the woman just follows it hook, line, and sinker. And so you end up with this, it's not a chasm, you, you, you turn families against each other, you turn husbands and wives against each other, you turn boyfriend, girlfriend against each other, you talk parent, child against each other. And these fragmenting, dividing, destructive, oppositional, corrosive lives that the media has been pushing have hit people 
really personally. It, like, it's one thing if somebody says, oh, the start of the Vietnam War was for the domino theory that communism was going to take down countries one by one, and that was what it's for. And other people say, oh, the start of the Vietnam War was based upon a lie for the Gulf of Tonkin incident, and it was the military-industrial complex, and like whatever you and other people say, oh, well, uh, the, the leftists wanted to start a war, were willing to sacrifice North Korean, uh, sorry, North Vietnamese troops in order to kill off the white Christians who generally sign up for the military because they are the enemies of communism in general. So you have these debates about the origins of things or, you know, who was really responsible for the start of World War One or even World War Two for that matter. So you have these debates and they're interesting academic debates, but they don't hit you where it hurts. They don't divide families. They don't end up with generations opposing each other. They don't end up causing divorces and breakups and Right. But these lies, when you when you hysterically portray a man as, you know, like a Nazi, a white supremacist, uh, like all, all the stuff they were talking about with regards to Trump. Then. You create such a stark and oppositional reality that people's lives. Quite literally, I'm not even talking for quite literally people's lives get utterly destroyed by the media. Marriages, relationships, love, familial relations, filial relations, parent-child relations. Not just destroyed, but set in massive opposition to each other. And when the media calls someone evil, who's not evil, right? I mean, yeah, Trump has his flaws, and there's lots of criticisms that can be made of Trump. But he's not Hitler, right? He's not, not, he's not Stalin, he's not Mao, he's not an evil guy that way. But when the media does that, it's real brinksmanship, right? It's real brinks because then everyone who's skeptical of that, the media puts on the side of evil, and everybody who swallows it wholesale, the media praises and approves like mad. So this wedge society, this, this divide and conquer society, this turn people against each other society, has been really fostered by the media. Fostered, created, grown, nurtured, this, this internecine hatred, right? Has really been grown by the media. So then when, you know, and the people who, who everyone accepts what the media says, they're, they're in the matrix, right? They're, they're in, you know, Plato's cave, right? The, everybody who accepts, oh, well, the media, they, they care about what's best for us and they're interested in, in, in giving us the truth and transferring facts to us. Then everybody who, who believes that is inhabiting an alternate reality of savage moral dimension and, and savage moral condemnation. You know, for the, see the philosophy. There's no such thing as right and wrong, right? That, that that's the philosophy. Um, I watched the movie Stillwater, and I actually may do a review on it. It was actually an interesting movie in in more layers than most movies are these days. But in it, there's it's not a spoiler. There's a a, a play, a, fragments of a French play. You know, there is no truth. There is only stories. You know, this kind of stuff. There is no truth. There is only stories and all that. So all of this there's no truth is not to create an amoral universe it's to create a, a universe where moral condemnation doesn't have to follow any rational standards right that is excuse me that is what what goes up postmodernism and the destruction of reason and the destruction of truth and and morality is so that it's like the disabling of a security camera so a robbery can occur and you know like of course the the um the 
the criminal who wants to disable the security camera is going to say, if anybody catches them, oh, I just think privacy is really important. We shouldn't be recording everyone. You know, have all these morals about about uh, autonomy and privacy when he just wants to rob. So all the people who said, well, there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as morality. The reason they did that was so that they could rouse the mob with no rational restriction, right? Because if there is morality, then we sensibly and intelligently discuss morality, which means that we have to define what is good and what is evil. But to, to destroy the concepts of morality doesn't eliminate our addiction or preference for morality in our hearts and souls. It simply means that it's very easy to manipulate, right? So the destruction of morality was the destruction of universal morality so that it's, uh, tribal substitutes could be enacted that allowed the elites to weaponize us against each other, right? So when he says... Um, you know, when Brian Stelter is all like, well, they don't, they don't watch the news. They don't, they don't trust the news. Now, anybody with half a brain, and I mean, I really do feel like a completely different life form in a way from, from people who just aren't skeptical and aren't critical and aren't curious and don't do these kinds of things. Anybody with half a brain would, would say, gosh, you know, if, if half the country doesn't trust me, I wonder if I've ever done something untrustworthy. Interesting question, right? Important question. If, you know, half the people I meet have, like, serious, aggressive, hostile, massive distrust of me, hmm, maybe I've done something untrustworthy. And and that's, you know, this is why I'm, I'm pretty self-critical and have all these videos, I was wrong about this, that, and the other, and refining and adapting and improving my views, I hopefully have a time. But that's, that's sort of important, right? If every girlfriend accuses you of being untrustworthy and leaves you, you, you clearly can't trust yourself. Because if you are trustworthy and you keep choosing people who call you untrustworthy, then you're terrible at choosing people and can't trust yourself. You're not trustworthy to yourself. If you're not trustworthy and the women are correctly identifying that lack of trustworthiness to you, then you can't be trustworthy, right? So there's no way out of that. If every woman you date leaves you for being untrustworthy, you're not trustworthy, no, axiomatically. Because either they're right, in which case you're not trustworthy, or they're wrong, in which case you have no trust with yourself because you keep choosing these terrible women who accuse you of terrible things. So with the media, there would be or should be, I've given up waiting for it, of course, but there would be something like, what have we done that's, that's uh, caused uh, people to not trust us? What have we done that's, that's caused people to not trust us? Now, that wouldn't be hard to do, right? Because what you do is you go back critically over the last, say, five years or 10 years, and you'd say, okay, what did we get wrong, and what did we do about it? I said, oh, well, we issued corrections, but everybody knows corrections are just legal maneuvering, right? It's it's just to give you credence in a lawsuit because the headlines blare all over the place and then the footnote is, is buried somewhere and, and the retraction is buried somewhere, the correction is buried somewhere. And even if that's the case, what they don't do is they don't say, okay, how did we get things wrong? How do we get things wrong? And of course, the media pushes a narrative that universally benefits the pharmaceutical industry because the pharmaceutical industry in America in particular is responsible for a significant, if not the majority, of ad sales 
because the media focuses on older people. Older people need more medication. And so in America, of course, you can advertise for medication. And so pharmaceutical companies pump untold amounts of money into the mainstream media. And so the mainstream media is never going to promote. Can you imagine if they, they sort of got behind ivermectin, which again, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but if they got behind ivermectin, then the pharma company, whichever, whichever network got behind ivermectin, the pharmaceutical companies would simply stop advertising on that network and thus drive, drive them out of business. Like this is a this is the death grip on the economy because they haven't pivoted to whatever model would work with younger people. And therefore, because the media is focused on older people, like the average age of CNN viewers is in the mid-60s, I think it is. And same thing's true of Fox. I think Fox is a little bit younger. So because they're trapped in an old person demographic, they need pharmaceutical sales. Therefore, they cannot promote anything that goes against the profit motives of pharmaceuticals. And there's probably even more sinister thing, things that are going on. But there's no, there's no, gosh, what am I doing that's causing all of these problems, right? And, and these are really dangerous people to be around in your life as a whole. Like, what are people, uh, people who don't ever ask, what am I doing to, to cause all of my problems? They're just, uh, just absolutely disastrous for your life as a whole. Uh, Peter Bogosian. A uh, guy I had on my show a couple of times, liked him a lot, good philosopher, a good, good uh, uh, rational thinker, a good critical thinker, wrote some very populist books. Street epistemology was his thing. Um, I definitely did not have a fun time reading his uh, article on Trump, which I thought was pretty bad. I did a review of. Anyway, he's um, basically been forced out of his position at uh, his uh, university, which I have significant sympathy for. But um, And people say, why am I not saying to people it's a great idea to go to university? Because... Uh, people get aggressed against, threatened, and then, you know, if they're rational, they have to leave. So uh, sympathies for him there, of course. What else have we got? Oh, yes. So the Texas ruling on abortion, right? Um, and I, the legality of it is, you know, I haven't dug into it in great detail, but basically there's limitations on abortions. I think it's after six weeks or after the fetal heartbeat is... Um, detected or whatever it is and of course there was some feminist who was out there like oh women should just shut down all their tinder profiles and they should shut down all of their plenty of fish profiles and the like in texas how to protest the entire uh, women's dating profile should go dark and it's like somebody said okay so progressives reverse engineer rather healthy sexual behavior and act like they've discovered atlantis right because yeah of course i mean for the most part uh, these are terrible dating apps that spread disease and, and, and immorality and depression and anxiety and low self-esteem and dependence on the state. And I mean, they're just, it's fueled. It's the sexual addiction that's fueled by the absence of fathers in the household, right? When you don't have fathers in the household, women and men, boys and girls turn to our selected reproductive strategies. And it's the spray and pray. And they end up with uh, very little attachment bonding and very high sex drives. Uh, rabbits as opposed to wolves, as I've talked about in gene wars. And, um, so the fallout of sexual addiction because of father-absent households is catastrophic for society as a whole. I mean, absolutely catastrophic for society as a whole. And when you restrict abortion, whatever else you think of it, when you restrict abortion, you are interfering with the steady supply of the cock carousel or the vagina conveyor belt for the top 20% of men and the top 80% of women. And you are stopping the flow of 
the drug that they're addicted to, which is continual and novel sexual experiences. Uh, and of course, it gives them a slight high and a great low, which then, you know, is why there's such addiction. So just so you understand that anything that restricts or limits or even moralizes on, you know, unrestricted soul and family and society destroying wanton sexual activity, you come between the addict and her drug. You come between the addict and his drug. And, of course, if women can't easily offer sexuality in return for male interest, then they actually have to be, you know, good women and, and loyal women and reliable women and moral women and so on. And it's a lot easier to open your legs than it is to raise your mind. Right? And that's just unfortunately true. It's a lot easier to live as a mammal than it is to become an angel. So, just so you understand, that's why there's such hysteria about it. And, of course, an, an addict doesn't care who they destroy in order to get their drug. They don't. They don't care who they destroy in order to get their drug. It's emotional terrorism. It's bullying. I have sympathy because once you're at that level of addiction, you really don't have a whole lot of free will anymore. But anything that's going to restrict easy access to sexuality, which means that you have to bring something more to the table than your ass on a photocopier, is going to be railed against because people are addicted to hypersexuality lack of easy access to abortion limits the benefit of hypersexuality and they then face self-hatred, self-recrimination, self-blame, incredibly low self-esteem because they can't get their next dopamine high from having some guy uh, ping them and say, oh, you're so hot, you know, or, or whatever it is, right? They, they don't get that dopamine rush of flesh on flesh and... Uh, you come between a drug addict and their drug, and uh, you are not going to have a good day. And, you know, one of the people who didn't have uh, a good day, of course, was this guy Tripwire. So uh, the Tripwire, his, uh, I think they're a video game maker, uh, posted his, his, just his personal, his personal approval of the SCOTUS decision on um, this Texas law on fetal heartbeat. And it was a game design company, and uh, another company canceled the contract with Tripwire, and so Tripwire has now fired the CEO. Now, Tripwire makes violent shoot-em-up video games, right? So uh, Tripwire is, first, I assume, first-person shooter, violent, you know, blood spraying all over the wall, uh, rocket uh, uh, packs up the button stuff. But you see, that's just not allowed. And th this is where we are. Like, this is really, really important. That's why I don't do politics, right? This is where we are as a society. It's the rule of rage. We're in the age of rage. We had, we had the age of enlightenment. We had the age of reason. We had the age of industrialization. We had the age of communications. And now we're in the age of rage. That's all it is, rage. We, we, we had, and I talked about this years ago in my speeches in Australia, where, of course, I tried to warn the Australians about the dangers of their government, which I guess they're figuring out empirically now, those who didn't come to the speeches or, or watch them. But... We're in the age of rage. So when I was talking about the Aborigines in Australia and New Zealand, well, Maoris, I guess, in New Zealand, I was talking about how we, we in the West, when someone comes along who's smarter than the average and skeptical and, and asks questions, we generally still kill them or drive them from social life. But we do it a little bit less than other cultures. And, and this is the lesson of it's the one, two of Socrates and Jesus, right? The people who were sacrificed for the attempts, one for skepticism and the other for universal morality, right? So skepticism of existing moral systems leads to truly universal morality 
although theology in Christian sense also leads that way. So we will regularly destroy our critical thinkers, but we do it a little bit less. You know, and progress 2,500 years from Socrates to someone like me is, you know, they, they killed him, whereas me, I'm just deplatformed, right? So, um, and that's what they call progress, right? So, doubt is progress. Doubt is progress, because most of what we inherit is not true. Most of what, most of the ideas put in our head are not true. Now, they may be accidentally true, but they're not epistemologically true. In other words, they're not philosophically true. And, like, if, if you accidentally answer a question right because you mishear it, then are you right? Well, you, you know, you could pass an oral exam, I suppose, but, you know, if, if you're about to hit your golf ball and somebody says, what's two and two, and you yell four... Are you a mathematician? <laughs> Have you answered that correctly? Well, of course, it's, it's a, no, no, you haven't. I mean, you've accidentally answered it correctly. So there are certainly some truths in what we've inherited, but most of what we've inherited is not philosophically true. And this was, of course, the, the whole point behind Socrates and the Oracle of Delphi, who said, you're the wisest. And he says, but I don't know anything, right? Even though, well, Socrates is a whole Gordian knot, because he says it doesn't know anything, but then he says it's very important to stand up to what is right and just and true and virtuous. I'm afraid you're going to need to pick a lane, buddy. But so we will we will kill them to satisfy the mob in the moment. That we'll kill the philosophers, we'll kill the thinkers to satisfy the mob in the moment. But later we might venerate them, right? So this is what happened with Plato uh, writing about the trial and death of Socrates. Like Socrates was vilified and attacked and mocked, and and the, and the mocking a lot came through art, right? Through Aristophanes and the clouds and so on, right? Through through plays. So Socrates was portrayed a number of times in, in a fictional way, as I am on, um, in, many, in many ways. So we will kill our thinkers, but we'll kill fewer of them, and we maybe will venerate them later. I mean, obviously Jesus killed, uh, but venerated later. So that gives us some progress, and the only way you get progress is skepticism and doubt. But skepticism and doubt and humility with regards to inherited absolutes is a higher IQ situation. And the IQ, as we know, over the West has just been declining. When the IQ declines, you get the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect is that the least you know, the less you know about something, the more likely you are to think something is easy. You know, it'd be like me yelling at a surgeon, like, you know, Ben Carson or some brilliant surgeon on some 12-hour operation, you know, just cut them correctly, just do it correctly. Or, you know, the people who yell at the TV at elite athletes who've been training for 20 years, you know, just hit the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball, you know, like, it's really not, not that easy. <laughs> it's really not that easy, right? So the Dunning-Kruger effect is when you're stupid and lack knowledge, you are most likely to be confident that you're absolutely right and everything is simple. And the more knowledge you gain, in a field, the more complicated you realize that it is. And this is the, you know, the vaccination versus unvaccination debate is people who aren't experts in the field are trumpeting simplistic absolutes, safe and effective. Is, is that a known thing for sure? And the experiment is still ongoing and it's constantly being tweaked as we speak right now. They're talking about third and fourth doses of, of booster shots, right? 
which weren't predicted at the beginning. And therefore there's, you know, so if you didn't predict something early on and then it turns out that you're wrong, you know, when you get the vaccine, things can go back to normal. Okay. Israel has now the most vaccinated country and has the highest rate of infection in the world. So things aren't going back to normal. Huh. I was wrong. I wonder what I got wrong. I wonder what I missed. I wonder what I didn't take into account. I wonder who I didn't interview, blah, 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 blah. Right. So because people are just getting dumber, the Dunning-Kruger effect is generally only beaten back by the media as a whole and, and to some degree academia and so on, right? But because dumber and dumber people are being stuffed into the halls of academia and because dumber and dumber people are consuming the mainstream media now, there's no profit in skepticism. There is only loss and tragedy and disaster in skepticism, as is the case for almost all of human history, except for a few brief flashes here and there where although you may be ostracized, although you may be jailed, although you may be killed for being skeptical, there's a chance your message might get out and there's a chance that in the next generation you'll be somewhat venerated and therefore it may be worth it if you don't mind living on after you die in other people's minds. But we are in the age of rage. And the age of rage is the age of stupidity. Because stupid people are absolutely certain. They have no doubt. And... That's one thing when it comes to science or whatever, engineering. But when it comes to morality, there's simply a dangerous and easily programmed mob of killbots that can be easily activated to swarm particular individuals who are doubtful, who are skeptical, who are asking questions because dumb people think they're smart. Dumb people think that they're smart. I mean, I'm good at philosophy, but I mean, philosophy is a, is a slice of human knowledge and for, for most of the rest of it. I mean, go ask me some questions on geography or, or algebra or, you know, I mean, this, or ancient Aramaic. I know virtually nothing, right? So when you're good at something, you recognize how hard it is to become good at something. I've got, you know, 60,000 hours into philosophy probably by now. And so I'm good at that, but all of that becoming good at philosophy has come at the expense of other things, which is why I'm not a jazz pianist or, or a guitarist or a gymnast or whatever it is, right? So, dumb people, because they're not good at anything, they think everything's easy because they've never put in the time or effort to truly master something and therefore you don't have humility. Now, in order to truly master something, though, you have to have the capacity to be good at it, right? I mean, I remember when I was learning guitar, I would look at, you know, Brian May's like, elongated stick inset spider fingers and be like, oh, my fingers are kind of short, right? And, you know, you see a lot of guitarists, they have these little tall, skinny guys, long fingers or whatever. And I'm sure there are guitarists with short fingers. B.B. Um, King, maybe? Anyway, but I don't do chords, man. That's what he said. I don't do chords. Uh, I'm, I suck at chords. So um, it's pretty, pretty wild. So he has a guy. He's good at uh, finger picking, good at uh, solos, but sucks at chords, right? So you have to have capacity to become good at something, which has something to do with dexterity, which has something to do with IQ, which has something to do with capacity. So if you're not very smart, you generally can't become very good at much. Because you can't become very good at much, you think everything's easy. Because everything you've had to do in your life has been pretty easy to master. Right? If you're a waiter, how long does it take to become good at a waiter? A couple of days. How long does it take to become good at being a short order cook? Or, uh, you know, pouring... Uh, pouring tarmac on, on a road. And again, it's no, no disrespect to any of these professions. They're all necessary, at least for the next five or ten years until we get robots, which is probably what COVID is all about. But um, 
no disrespect to any of these things, but when everything that you've tried in your life has been ridiculously easy to master, you don't know what difficulty is. You don't know what complicated is. You don't know what ambivalent is. You don't know. And you don't have the humility of knowing people who are really, really good at what they do and have worked 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 or more hours to get really good at what they do. Because when you're not smart, you don't generally hang around smart people. IQ segregates by sedimentary layer, right? By quintile, for sure. And so if you're not smart, you don't know smart people. You don't know skilled people. You don't know people who have the humility of becoming really good at something and recognizing how long it takes to become really good at something and having humility when judging other people's application of a skill set they don't possess. So everything seems easy and you have this insatiable hunger for people to tell you it's simple and it's easy. The experts say so. Everyone's in a line. Give me your money. To be paid to feel smart when you're dumb, sorry, to pay to feel smart, to pay for people to tell you you're smart when you're dumb is a foundational drive of the age of rage and age of idiocy in modern economics. So much money has been taken from the smart and given to the less intelligent through a wide variety of subsidies and the welfare state and um, even student loans and so on, right? So, so much money has been taken from the intelligent and given to the unintelligent that the unintelligent represent a disproportionate market to sell justifications for stupidity too. I, I don't know, sort of, I couldn't think of an elegant way to put it, which happens at times, right? So if you take, if you take trillions of dollars from the intelligent and give it to the unintelligent, the unintelligent now have trillions of dollars to spend and the market adapts to the supply and the demand of the money that the unintelligents have gotten through state force. So this is why you completely twist and destroy culture with redistributive coerced taxation. Because the smart people end up as a tiny economic minority as far as mainstream purchases go, whereas the dumb end up with two or three or four or five or more times the economic purchasing power than they would have otherwise in a free market. And therefore, because they have massive trillions of dollars to spend that they did not earn, 